Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. I'm getting texts and WhatsApp from people who are booking into the local pubs and paying a deposit to get there. I find this whole thing quite bizarre, to be honest with you. It's a kind of case of, look, if you're going to open them, just open them. If you're not going to open them, just don't open them. It's as simple as that. This idea of these rules and regulations, and I did see the rules and regulations set out by the Surveillance Centre, the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, and I swear to God, you wouldn't give that many rules and regulations to a hospital. But essentially, I suppose... We're in the middle of a pandemic, so I suppose they have to be the rules if they want to open. That's what a lot of people are saying. Some people are saying, I won't be bothered going to the pub just because it's too much hassle to do all that social distancing and sitting down and staying for 90 minutes and buying a meal and booking in, giving contact tracing details and all that kind of thing. And other people are saying, I won't go because I'm kind of afraid. And some people are kind of still have that fear of going out. Well, Professor Anthony Staines, of course, made a comment about it. Um, and he is the Professor of Health Systems at Dublin City University. And he explained that the only way to stop the risk of COVID COVID-19 was to stop it from circulating and he joins me on the line. Anthony, good afternoon to you. Afternoon, how are you? Anthony, now, look, I, I, I know by the way you're thinking on the whole thing because I spoke to Jared Colleen uh, going back about two weeks ago about the open letter that yourself and himself were involved in and, you know, you're kind of thinking on this is probably that we should keep going with what we're doing for another few weeks until it's completely suppressed and then we could ha- go back to, I suppose, inverted commas, old normal. Yeah, I mean, where, where we're thinking is this. The plan at the moment is that as far as we continue, that we'll have a small number of cases and, very sadly, a small number of deaths every day for the foreseeable future. And that brings with it, besides the ill health and the tragedies, it brings an enormous cost to everyone. And you've ju- just outlined it for the pubs. The, there was a woman whose name I'm afraid I didn't catch the National Transport Authority on this morning talking about the same thing for public transport, buses, Lewis, trains. There were people yesterday from the INTO and ASTI talking about schools. How do we manage schools with social distancing? Do kids go to school one day a week, two days a week, three days a week? How do we actually do all of this? And the answer to all these is it's really, really, really hard. And the solution, I think is to make a decision, for the government to make a decision, maybe the incoming Taoiseach to make a decision, that what we want to do is to bring the cases down in the country to zero and keep them there. But is that not some sort of utopian idea? That I mean, look, we've been dealing with pandemics. Mm. We Look, we've had influenza for uh, since World War One, and we've been dealing with other pandemics throughout history. And as human beings, we we're, look, we are vulnerable as human beings. Uh, to viruses, diseases, illnesses. And some people will say that there's a trade-off, Anthony, that, yes, we've seen the debt rate has dropped drastically, which is great. We never, thankfully, had the pressure on the hospitals that we thought we were going to have, which is also great news as well. And that it's just a fact of life that some scientists are saying this virus could be with us for 10 or 15 years. Other scientists, by the way, are saying it's going to be gone in six weeks anyway, um, which is an optimistic view. So, and, you know, and do we really want to go down the road, I suppose, of New Zealand, where in New Zealand they suppressed the virus? Now, they had two infections there yesterday and they sent out the military to the airports and borders. And do we really win in a situation where we're isolating ourselves and we're setting ourselves up as some sort of outlier with a few other countries who abide by those rules? I don't think we're, we're isolating ourselves. I mean, the, the great thing about what happened in New Zealand was the rest of New Zealand continues as normal. 
there's a small number of people who are being majorly inconvenienced because they're being contact traced. They've been in contact with these people. There are fairly strict restrictions on coming in or coming out. But as we move to faster and faster testing, those restrictions will go away. If you've got to go to an airport and be tested and it takes 15 minutes to get a test, and as an Irish company which has produced a test, now I, I know nothing about testing, but they say that they can test this in 15 minutes to get a reliable test. That's very practical as part of day-to-day life. It's very practical. Well, then why aren't we doing those travel. things? Why, why aren't we? I mean, the, the, the APA test, which is the one they used in America, mm. uh, which Trump was going on for a while, but I believe it's quite good. Now, it has a very high accuracy rate, something like 92% or something yeah. like that. That can be done in 10 minutes. Why aren't we using that sort of testing system? And, and we could solve this problem much quicker. We, we have a company in Ireland doing the same thing, called Hypergene. As I said, I know nothing about their test, but it seems mm. to be similar to the Abbott test and approach. So what, what we're saying is we, we bring in this testing. We put the resource. This is costing us an awful lot of money. Billions. And it's going to cost us billions more, even if we reopen with restrictions. I mean, you, you've you heard the licensed vintners talking about it. Yesterday. Okay, but just let me get to the, the licensed vintners because that's really why I wanted to talk to you today. There's no science in any of this, is there? I mean, I mean, realistically, I mean, I, I could get the virus in 89 minutes and not 91. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or, you know, spending yeah. eight euro on a meal is not going to be, I mean, it's almost yeah. like nine euro for a meal is a cure for COVID-19. Yeah. The virus doesn't know how much money you put in your credit card. <laughs> no, no so I mean, there's no, there's no real science behind this. It's just yeah. a case of, the vintners, and I can understand the pubs and people in their jobs and the economies, because if we don't have an economy and we don't have jobs, we have despair and poverty, which in turn costs lives. But what we're saying to people is use common sense, use masks, avoid crowded situations. And if we can bring this down to zero, we will still have outbreaks, as they've had in New Zealand, as they've had in Korea, as they're having right now in China. But you can deal with outbreaks. What you can't deal with is this continual low-level circulation of the virus all across the country. That's what's costing the money. But see, people don't want to hear the, the kind of grim reaper view that there's a new normal and for like the next three or four weeks, we were hearing spokespeople there for saying for two or three years, we're going to be all going around social distancing from each other. We can't visit our elderly in care homes. We can't go on holidays. Yeah. We can't do all of these things without having a spare two weeks off, for example. Yeah. And people don't want to hear this. This is Grim Reaper stuff to people. They don't want to hear it. But that's a choice we can make. We, we can choose as a, as a matter of policy, we can choose to try and drive this to zero. And other countries have done it. Greece has largely done it. Not perfect. We, uh, we could largely do it. It won't be perfect. There will still be cases. But there'll be so few and they'll be so isolated that we can manage them. And we can get back to more or less... Are we overstating it, Anthony? And I, and I want you to be honest. Do you, do you think that we're overstating the danger of COVID-19? Initially, of course, when COVID-19 happened and we had the first couple of cases from Italy, remember the people went away to Italy, we, the, the WHO were coming out with mortality figures of 5%. We know now, and you know Tony Hancock has said it in the UK as well, that the mortality rate, they believe, is less than half of 1%. So, did yeah. we overstate it from the start? Are we overstating it? Because, and I'm not comparing it with the yeah. flu, but the flu has a mortality rate, I think, of 0.2% or something like that, particularly for those who are in vulnerable situations. Are we overstating the danger of COVID-19? Well, we look at our own figures. We look at the British figures. There's an awful lot of people died in the pandemic, more than you would expect. And all those people were really dead. 
I know, but they're in certain settings. And I'm not, I'm not saying their lives are worth less, by the way, but they're no, in certain settings. I, I agree with that, but a lot of, a lot of them were not. But, but we failed those people, homes, But A lot of them were healthy workers. A lot of them were, there were a lot of young people died. Not the majority by any means. There was but very, uh, Anthony, died. there was very, very, children I mean, died. but there was a, hang on, Anthony, with the great respect, there was very few young people and children died. Oh yeah, very few. Yeah, but I mean, realistically, I, I could turn around to you and say, you know, every year over 600,000 people die of the flu and there's a lot of young people and healthy yeah. people die yeah. of the flu and pneumonia and, and what they, and the chest infections they get from it. So in saying that, realistically, this particular virus is ageist. It seems to target people over the age of 70. It seems to target those who are in a very vulnerable situation. Over a thousand, they reckon now, nearly 1,100 people have died in care homes out of the 1,700 people that have died. And out of the remainder, the 600, the majority of those have been over 70. So it is an ageist virus. It is an ageist virus, but it also causes a lot of sickness. And one of the things that's beginning to worry people now is that the long, what are the long-term effects of this? There's very preliminary figures that say that one in, around 1 in 20 people who have this virus are quite ill for quite a long time afterwards. Now, it's too soon to say, does that mean months, weeks or years? We don't know. Is, is that, explain that to me because you would know more than that. Is that like, for example, when you get um, pneumonia or pleurisy, you can end up with scarring on the lungs? Is that, is that what we're talking about? It's the same kind of thing. I mean, I, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine who's an intensive care nurse who, when she walks up the stairs, her heart rate goes up to 150. Mm-hmm. And she was as fit as a trout three months ago. She now can't work. Now, she's, that's a minority, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. And we, we already have flu. We don't need another one, thank no, you. No, no, well, absolutely. And, no. and mind you, we've been very proactive in the last 10 years, particularly in relation to a vaccine for, for the flu. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know how close we are to a vaccine to this because some people are saying 18 months, others are saying it could take 10 years, others are saying we may never get a vaccine because there has been viruses we've never got vaccines for. Yeah, and, I mean, there have been people working on malaria vaccines for 50 years. Yeah, hey, how long did it take us to get a vaccine for HIV? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, we, well, we still haven't got one. Um, but we, we did get on top of it with medication. Yeah, we did. So, w- w- we with the, with the best one in the world, it'll be about eighteen months before we have a vaccine if everything goes swimmingly. See, we we could deal with HIV to an extent because it, it restricted our lives. Well. Uh, you know, for our sexual lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we could talk about protection, you know, and that didn't really restrict people too much. But when it comes yeah. to something like this, where it's literally just walking out and saying hello to your friend and shaking hands with somebody, yeah. that's a massive restriction to put on human beings. Because as human beings, Anthony, you know better than most, yeah. uh, isolation, and there's been great studies done on social isolation. Oh, it's I, dire. Well, I, it's, it, it causes well, I death. I have colleagues studying exactly that question right now, and it's dire. There was a study in 1988, I think, uh, all about uh, social isolation of primates and Mm. human beings. And they actually talked about it causing physical health problems. Yeah, I I don't know the study, but I can well believe it and no doubt about it. Mm. I mean, we've got the simple stuff we can do that will reduce the risks. We, We wear masks. And that's see, the, with the, the, the masks again, people are yeah. getting mixed information constantly all the time. I mean, the, the information's really clear. These things protect you against spreading to other people. And so, so how effective would that no be? When, when Tony Holahan says we've essentially suppressed the virus in the community. Yeah. So how effective then is a mask at all, really? Because the majority of us don't have it. The majority of us don't have it. But if you're going into a crowded space, 
All you need is one person. There's an outbreak in a Florida bar. The bars in Florida opened, I think, last week. That's right, yeah. And there's 19 people in one bar, 12 patrons and seven staff, all infected by one person who was perfectly well. If that person had been wearing a mask, they might have only infected one person. And what about what the WHO said last week, which they then retracted and rephrased in context, that asymptomatic people don't spread it? So, so we, we are getting mixed information, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, the, the evidence is that asymptomatic people do spread it, but a fair number of the ones who spread it develop symptoms later. So you're, you're, you can spread the virus for a day or two before you develop symptoms. It's not that, it seems to be not that usual for people who never develop symptoms. I get you. Right, spread okay. the virus. Okay, so it's but before the symptoms show. Yeah. So wearing masks, if you saw the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. Most of the people in those, those are outdoor protests, so they're low risk events anyway. But most people wearing masks because there are a lot of people in a small area. The really high risk stuff is nightclubs, crowded pubs, parties, restaurants, funerals, where a large number of people come together in a small space for a period of time. And masks make a very, very big difference in that setting. If you're on a crowded train, all you need is one person in the carriage who doesn't know they're infected. There's no badness in this. They don't know. But they're still sniffling a bit. There's, they, maybe they sneeze. They infect the five people standing around them. They infect more people. And, you know, this, this probably this started with a single case. It prob- the outbreak in Ireland probably started with eight or ten people infected abroad who came back to Ireland feeling perfectly well. And, that's, and that led to our outbreak. Of course, we all know the Italian skiing seemed to be the thing that did it for us. Yeah, it may have been more than that, but well, yeah, that was, yeah, that was almost certainly part of it. Yeah. So, we, so we, we, I mean, Anthony, when do you see... I mean, people, what people really want to know, and what they're listening today, is mm. they want to know, when, when can I go back to the way I was in January? When, when is life... Go, when can I go to a nightclub? When can I go and see a band playing in the three arena? When can I go to a GAA match in Crow Park? When do, when do you predict, predict that will happen? If we don't do, make a decision to do something, it could be several years. If we do make a decision to do something, we could be doing that by the end of the summer. And what's that decision? This is based, again, we talked to, to Gerald, mm. uh, Gerald about this, the open letter that you talked about. Now, some of the open letter, I absolutely agreed with it. Yeah. A lot of it, I thought... There's holes in this, you know. I mean, unless everywhere, everywhere else did exactly the same thing, and realistically, so we get it down to zero. We abide by the what you mm. said in the open letter, which was basically to kind of stick with stricter guidelines for a few weeks. In other words, mm. a little bit more pain to get a lot more mm. gain, essentially, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, but but in saying that, then all we need, like New Zealand, is one person to to get through the cracks, or one person mm. to come into Belfast and down to Dublin. Well, uh, we can see we can deal with that. How do you? You can't put a border in Europe. No, no, we don't it's need to. Murder. We, we don't need to. If somebody could, we, the best way to do this is north and south. Gabriel Scally was talking about this earlier in the week, and some of the Northern Irish politicians have mentioned it as well. Scotland is planning to do this. They have a land border with England, which is a basket case, but they're planning to drive this to zero in Scotland right now. But I mean, we, we, I know Northern Ireland, generally speaking, have been acting with Ireland anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a they, lot of co- 
cooperation. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we're doing things pretty much at the same time. I mean, they're not acting with mainland UK at all, to be honest yeah. with you, which is a good thing because it, it keeps that border between the two of us open. And of course, there is no guidelines about crossing the border here at the moment. Yeah. Um, only if you're coming in from mainland UK, you have to quarantine. Yeah. But when you when you say, sorry, just briefly, when you say UK is a basket case, I mean, is that not because of the densely populated cities, their underground transport system? Mm-hmm. and that? no. There's other densely populated places have done much better. The UK, England, not the UK, because Scotland and Wales aren't too bad. England is a basket case because there was no coordinated leadership. There was no plan to deal with the pandemic. And they just sat around and watched it spread. Well, the herd immunity word became a dirty word at the very start when Boris yeah, Johnson took it. herd immunity, we may not be able to do it for this virus because it may not give long-term immunity. See, people are saying that who are disagreeing with you and, and Jared and other people mm. like yourselves and other, other scientists, by the way, who are equally as qualified but just have a yeah. different view of it, yeah. are saying, you know, why are we now suggesting that herd immunity is not a good thing? For years we're saying herd immunity is a great thing and now we're saying... it may not be possible with this virus. We, um, we don't get herd immunity to colds. I mean, how many colds have you had in the last 10 years? Well, I, I, I only one that knocked me out. Yeah. So these viruses are closely related to virus that causes colds. We just plain don't know. I mean, I don't know, and I don't think the virologists tell me they don't know either, whether this produces long-term immunity or not. And if it doesn't produce long-term immunity, if everybody gets infected, we just get a whole lot of dead people, and then the virus comes back in two years' time. All right, well, look, um, in back to the pubs again, in relation to the pubs, so you don't... So just finally, uh, in relation to the pubs, what do you believe the strategy should be? Leave them closed for another month? No, I think the strategy should be wear masks, wash your hands, don't let them get too crowded. Producing a 40-page book of rules gives false reassurance. Okay, so this whole thing about the meals and the 90 minutes is nonsense. There's no science in that. Yeah, the, the guideline is it's a sensible approach, but it's too... You, it, it doesn't protect you. That, that's, you know, going to a pub while this virus is circulating has a level of risk. You do what you can to reduce your level I, of and risk. I, and I agree with you, Anthony, but the problem is if you're in a pub and you're sipping pints, oh, so yeah, how, how are you going yeah. to wear a mask? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, <laughs> you know not, I mean? I'm not saying use a straw. I'm not saying <laughs> Put a hole easy. in your mask with a straw. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, can I just say, just in case I get a complaint, don't ever drink alcohol to a straw, okay? The lack of oxygen makes it very, very strong. Right? I remember that. Yeah. Thank you. Listen, Anthony, I appreciate you coming on the air. Professor Love Anthony Stays, Professor of Health and Systems at DCU. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.